Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to John. John something. I forget now. John 4. John 4. John 4. It'll be up on the screen, but there are also Bibles in front of you. Encourage you to do one of those two things, unless you really take notes on your phone. Just put that phone away. Turn it off. It's good for your soul and your heart, your mind, your body, your, your toes. Everybody all right? Dun, dun, and I've witnessed it. I was thinking about that song, man. I love that song. I love, like, I had this image of, like, turning to each other. It's being like, I've witnessed this. Like, with some sort of, like, weird, crazy look in their eyes. Like, I want you to know I have seen this. Also, do you ever notice that, have you ever noticed that Promises, that song that we sang that opened up our time by Maverick City, is, um, it's, uh, Rich Ferry pointed this out. It's, that banana song by Jack Johnson. I shouldn't have said that. Now you can't unhear it. I'm going to put the Jack Johnson lyrics up there next time. <laughs> oh, man. We're starting a new series today called The Jesus I Never Knew, which will promptly be interrupted next week for a quick minute when we talk about prayer and that practice. But we're going to be in this for the next month and a half or so. Uh, this new series, The Jesus I Never Knew, or The Jesus I Thought I Knew, The Jesus I Thought I Knew. And uh, it may be a bit presumptuous, but the idea, um, and something that I feel every fall, which feels like the new year to me, is like this rediscovering the beauty and majesty and love of Jesus. And there are just different aspects we often don't talk about when we talk about the life of Jesus and what it is to apprentice after Jesus. And I'm just really excited to get into some... Um, just looking at his life uh, through a few different lenses and, and allowing Jesus to surprise us all over again. I've mentioned this so many times, but it's worth repeating. Uh, I have a habit of going through the Gospels regularly throughout the year. If anything else I'm reading and studying, I just go through again. If you're new to the church, the Gospels are just the accounts of Jesus' life. Because I always find him to be surprising. Like the way he calibrates invitation and challenge just surprises me every time. I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. And still, I'm like, wow, you are so much more inclusive and caring and kind and gentle than I remember. And then in the same breath, I'm like, wow, you are stronger and have far more challenge and seemingly less, like, patience than I remember. Anyone ever have this experience? Like, you read back to the—you realize I'm projecting a lot of how I think Jesus should be, how I think Jesus is. Right? Jesus would never do that. I have that like script rolling and I project that on to the scriptures. So the Jesus I thought I knew. Here we go. Uh, John uh, chapter 4. I want to talk today about desire, embracing your desire. Some people I think have this idea of following Jesus. When you follow Jesus, it's about muting your desires or burying them. Living some sort of muted or like, I don't know, proper life. Proper is like a dirty word in, in the house, my house growing up. Uh, maybe it was like an exalted word in your home. Pro proper meant muted, meant passionless in my house. 
Um, so I want to look at some scriptures, and I want you to follow along um, to kind of the big ideas here, these principles that sit in these stories. And I just want to make some observations that I hope will be helpful for us. So John 14, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them like a spring welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. All right, let's just kind of stop there for a quick second. In those days, um, you would go to a well first thing in the morning because that's when the water was coolest. It's when the weather was coolest and the town square would be filled. So we're told some things whenever we see... um, specific locations with the gospels and most of scripture give these flyovers but whenever it drills down and gives you a place like samaria hmm you should pay attention to that like the lights should automatically go off on your dashboard if you're reading the scriptures why samaria why does he mention later in the day seemingly random detail later in the day and so this woman is met by jesus and if you've studied this story before, you know that this would have just been so, uh, what's the word, like uncouth. This was not okay. That a rabbi especially, never mind a man, to be seen later in the day with a Samaritan woman. She's going to the well, we know, when no one else is going. And there must be some reason for this. So she gets into this discussion Whoever drinks of this water, I give them. Right? She asks him, like, you have some sort of water? He's like, yeah, yeah, I have a special sort of water. I will give them, and it will well up to eternal life. Now, this word eternal life means essentially harmony with God. Can you say olam, abba? Say olam, abba. This is the Jewish word for eternal life. One, interp- one interpretation is life in the age to come, eternal life. Or another writer says the life of the ages. This idea that this was simply about like, hey, when you die, you're going to go to heaven is not in any way like remotely like resembling what the Bible is teaching us about this. No, no, he's talking about you will have a quality of life, the life of heaven that will go on after you die. You can experience that here and now, you can live in harmony with God, how you were created to live. So, Jesus is saying, you can actually have a different kind of water. And so she says, sir, give me this water. And then Jesus shifts gears here, and he says, go call your husband. And she replies, what? I got none. And, and Jesus then says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and she wasn't freaked out at all. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So the discussion about water here and about the well, Jesus is doing his like normal little move where he's shifting the conversation to be about something else. Now, this was not an okay situation. Even in our day and age and in our like open, like liberal, loving, accepting culture, there would be some question marks about somebody who had five husbands in this day and age with all of the purity laws and rules and 
just all the loadedness around someone like this. This was so uh, somebody who had been ostracized a bit by society. And Jesus doesn't condemn her. He, she, he, he just sees she's what? She's what? She's like searching for something. It's like man one didn't do it, did he? Man two, no. Man three, like she's searching for something. What was it? Five husbands. I mean, she's a lot like us. It's like the, the, the classic line, like we, we all have a God-shaped hole. We all have this ache in us. Uh, maybe you could say it like this. It, it, Jesus is saying to her, it's not working for you, is it? This isn't working for you, is it? It's not working for you, is it? Man number one didn't do it. Man number two didn't do it. He doesn't lead her away in this moment from her desires for meaning and for love and for connection. Actually, he takes her further in. We read at the end of the story, right? He's saying this this living water you can have now. And he says, stop, stop. Stop leaning into this desire to go and be with another man. It says in another gospel account, the man you're with now is not even your husband. Jesus just gently moves her away from kind of going after something that does not lead to life. It's like he wants to show her something that would satisfy that deeper thing. This is what Jesus does. He comes alongside us and he points stuff out the habits and the patterns that we're living and all the ways we search and try to fill that, whatever you want to call it, God-shaped hole. And he says, there's a better way. It's not working for you, is it? It's not working for you, is it? Jesus starts to get personal, right? He's going under the hood. And then we read in this passage, (laughs) um, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know the whole tone, but I just, it's funny to me. It's like as soon as she starts to get to her real thing, she changes the subject. <laughs> right? Like she starts talking about current events because back then people would rather talk about surface stuff than talk about the real thing. That was back then. They don't do that anymore. Right? Like this is, this, <laughs> this is by the way, what, what we do in home church. I just mentioned this. Like, like I, I'll, I'll sometimes hear things like, oh, can we just like, I want to take in more content. Or I love this one. I really feel like I need to be fed more. Fed more is usually code for I want more information and I don't actually want to do the stuff. Not always, but usually. I really just want to, I feel like I need to up my like understanding of like these timelines and genealogies, which by the way, as a student of the Bible who spent most of his life for fun, I read commentaries. I love that stuff. But to be very clear, that same Bible again points us towards flesh. Everything moves from word to flesh. Everything, the whole movement, word to flesh. Don't just read the word. If you don't do it and don't begin to do what it says, there's a problem. Right? I mean, there's the, 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 the picture here is she wants to get into a theological discussion or a debate. Jesus starts to get her woundedness, starts to get at what's going on below the surface, wants to have a conversation about this, and she just wants to like pump back up and talk about like a theological debate. Right? It's like we, we get into our preferences. We want to talk about our preferences. We want to talk about some interesting things. We can move it back up here. Um, fellas, 
I hate to lean into stereotypes. I really, really do hate it. But man, in general, I find so many men, at least in my world, in my life, to struggle with this. We sometimes can't even do like conversations like face-to-face. We've got to have other things going on, <laughs> right? It's hard. It's hard. Jesus starts to get the below the surface, and she changes the channel. And in the kindest, most gentlest way, he brings her back. It's like you're trying to get rid of, well, what ache are you trying to get rid of with husband number four? Something's not working. Something's not working. It's not working for you, is it? This is what happens when we meet Jesus. When we meet Jesus again for the first time and the second time and the third time and the fourth time, you just start to get honest. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 13. Jesus doesn't pull her away from her desires, but deeper in. Deeper in. C.S. Lewis says, it's not that our desires are too strong, it's that they aren't strong enough. The larger quote here is, he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Anyone want infinite joy? (laughs) Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I had a mentor tell me once, Andrew, if, you, if your whole life is just built around seeking pleasure, even if that's through the way of Jesus, just seeking highs and seeking pleasure, it will kill you. Can I tell you one of the things in my life that is the greatest temptation and danger? Can you guess why that mentor said it to me? <laughs> it's like pleasure seeking. And God's a pleasure seeker, by the way. God is not interested in muting our desires. We're told God takes great pleasure in us. But man, how quickly we fall to lesser loves and lesser pleasures. We're far too easily pleased. Jesus is pulling that woman at the well into something deeper and wider. So in Matthew 13, 44, notice Jesus' move here. You with me? I know it's dim and rainy in here. I'll try to move around a little more. Verse 44, notice Jesus' move. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, He hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. In his joy. Jesus says, living under God's rule and reign is like someone who gets a taste of life with God and then sells everything they have to get at it because they want it so desperately. Maybe maybe you could say like this, life with God only works when you want it more than anything. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. And he bought it. Again, fine pearls, he sold everything. Again, this picture is what? Here's what I see. Unrestrained desire want it more than anything else. They'll sell it more than anything else. Clarity on the goal, which is life with God and in community. He wants it more than anything else, the life of the kingdom. You can say it like this. Next slide. They sell. They leave behind because they see something they want more than anything else. Or next slide. They embrace their desire for something better. 
This is how Jesus talks about life with God. Okay, turn with me to Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2 says something fascinating about Jesus himself taking up the cross. Notice this in Hebrews 12 too. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Let us fix our eyes on this Jesus who for the what? Say the word with me. For the what? For the joy. For the joy he endured the cross. Because he knew he would sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's like a way of saying like living that life of God. Jesus knew this was his proper and right thing to do. The cross is this death on an execution stake. Jesus is betrayed and spit on and tortured. Why did he do it? Well, because he had a vision of the resurrection. He had a glimpse of what was going to happen. And so for the joy, it's what? It's desire. It's desire. He wants it. He's willing to go through the pain of the cross. He knows the deeper thing. Even in the garden when he prays, Lord, I don't know if I can do this, but not my will, but yours. He wants God's will more. And that is a desire and passion that moves him in to the place and the mission before him that he's supposed to do. Turn with me to Ephesians 4, 28. This passage is for all the kleptos in the room. Anyone have like a little stealing past in their life? Come on. How many of you have stolen before? Come on, get them up. Self-checkout line. Anybody? Just like, oh, it's just not scanning really well. It's just not scanning. You just let through it in. Come on. Come on. Church should be more like an AA meeting. We talk about this all the time. Be honest. Be real. No, never? Guys, my stealing story. I'm, I'm, I, I, have, I have taken a couple things here and there in a long, long time ago. Um, I, um, this is something stolen from me. My goodness. Hold on. I'll tell the story in a minute. It's a good one. Ephesians 428. I'm going to get off here. This is for all the kleptos. Really, 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 really practical picture here. Hold on. I got to find this passage here. Ephesians 420. Jesus up on the screen here. Anyone who has been stealing Paul giving advice to a church in Ephesus. So it's like, let's say he's writing a letter to us, the sanctuary. Hey, everybody, sanctuary. If you got some folks who've been stealing, tell them you must steal no longer. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Great. Sounds good. But must work. Doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. I love this passage. Look, religion or some moral secular code usually stops at don't do it. Don't do it. But Paul keeps going. He says, you must work doing something useful. Now, when you steal, what part of your body do you use? Put them up. Give me some jazz hands. <laughs> when you steal, what's happening in your mind? What do you, what's happening in your body? You're having an adrenaline rush. Am I going to get caught? Is that security guy as dumb as he looks? Am I fast enough? Can I get away with this? Have I planned well enough? Um, I was uh, in a 7-Eleven, and I had my bike, and it was fairly late, and I left my bike against these big, large glass panes. I could see it the whole time, and I went into, I don't remember what I went to buy, in a water or something like that. It's on my way home. 
and I look out in the checkout line. I've been keeping my eye on it the whole time, and I see a figure dart from the other side of the parking lot, jump on my bike, and start to go. I, being the calm, non-anxious presence with no justice complex, sit there and go, you know what, it's just a thing. I prayed for him. No. I threw the water down, ran out, and start running after this guy. I am running down Broad Street at like 11 o'clock at night, like, get back here. What do you think you're doing? Like, just, I, I probably a little more salty their language than that. I'm like going at him. Um, what was funny, though, is I was riding at the time a fixed-gear bike. Anyone know what a fixed-gear bike is? Yeah, this kid had never ridden a fixed-gear bike. So fixed-gear bike, you can't really coast, and there's no gears. It just constantly goes. And so he's trying to pedal, and as he's going faster, I'm watching the pedal just whack him in the legs. And he's trying to, like, get control of it and trying to coast, and he kept putting his feet out like this because he's like, what is going on? And I thought, I got a little bit, just a little bit of joy as he rode off into the night that he was, like, going to have bruised shins and bruised legs when he got back, just whacked over and over and over. But that boy had the adrenaline that he needed to make that steal happen. That was a gutsy move. I would like to meet that man one day. And after I hit him, I would give him a hug and pray for him. Right? But he needed some adrenaline to make that happen. So a person who steals develops an adrenaline rush using their hands. So Paul says, tell that person who's been stealing to start working with their hands. And then what are they supposed to do? What does it say in the text? Give it to those in need. Give it to those that are hurting. Religion or some secular moral code fails when it's just a list of no's. When it's all, oh, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, it will fail. What happens, the why it fails is because it cuts off desire. But this passage in Ephesians isn't cutting desire off. He reroutes it. Show them something they can do with all that adrenaline in their hands. Give them something that's more than a rush. Have them make something and give it to somebody who needs it. Have you ever experienced the desire, the passion, the rush of providing like meals and help and care for somebody who desperately needs it? Have you ever taken that time and energy and passion that gets routed towards caring about fixer-upper shows and met a refugee family at the, at the, um, at the airport as they're getting out, as they're getting off the plane for the first time in a foreign place and helping them find a place to live? The rush, energy of rerouting our energy and desire to walk alongside people who don't know the way of Jesus, to walk around side to under-resourced youth at Hope High, fill in the blank. Let me be clear, it's not about chasing a rush. It's about acknowledging that there are deeper desires that satisfy. There's living water. The problem with the person who's stealing isn't stealing. The problem is that's the best they can come up with. How lame is that? How lame is that? That's the most creative you can get. There's all sorts of reasons people steal. At the end of the day, 
whatever that disordered passion is, is that the best you can get? Maybe you could say it like this. Jesus shows them something that they'll love more. Next slide. Show them something that they'll love more. You see, the scriptures, they don't cut off our desire. We're never taught to cut them off. We're told to go deeper into them. The problem is that we are craving this. It's like, it's like that's all we're, what we're craving. And God's like, no, no, I've made you. I've made you for something deeper. You guys know the aisle in CVS that has all the made-on-TV stuff in it? It's also the candy aisle. It's also the aisle they just put stuff that they don't know what else to do with in that aisle. You guys know this aisle? It's like a lot of junk, and it's really overpriced. Well, they, they know what they're doing. CVS is a very um, successful uh, institution. And so they know where to put, like, cheap toys and candies. They know what, uh, where to put that on the shelf. And they put that at the height of my three-year-old. And we have a CVS near our house, and we walk to And every time I go and buy the kids a treat, I am chastised, rightfully so, by the financial uh, housekeeper of our house, my wife. Because <laughs> it's just why, yeah, why? No offense to everyone who works at CVS. Love that place. Get all my drugs there. Um, but that aisle, it's just all the junk. It's right on, right on that lane, right on that, that eyesight of, of my youngest. And so... <laughs> Like, I remember going in, and we were going to, like, we having a little date, and she had got to pick out something that, that she, like, really wanted. Like, this was a special, special moment for her and I, where she got to pick out one thing, and she was, like, basically couldn't decide, and so she, she began to grab, like, this little, like, chocolate kiss, and this little candy, and this little, and all of a sudden, like, this little like, weird propeller toy, you know what I'm talking about, like, and just started to gather up more and more and more and more things. And she's like, Dad, what about this? What about this? Dad, what about this? Dad, what about this? This looks so cool. This looks so cool. Gathering up more and more. And her eyes are getting huge. Like, this is so cool. What can I get? I'm like, you can get a couple small things. You can get one big thing. And then I notice a little further up the aisle, there's a unicorn. And if you have three to four-year-old kids, you know the power of the unicorn. It was a big unicorn. It wasn't like some little unicorn. It was like proper stuffy size. Almost her size. It was a little higher up. And so I'm wondering, is she going to see this? Because I feel like, the, the, I mean, we were at peak unicorn moment too in our life. And I'm like, hey, 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 Keller, look at that. What? Do you see that? No. Gathering up more stuff, gathering up more stuff. Her hands are just like, her, like full of just junk. And she, like, finally makes eye contact with the unicorn, affectionately known now as Uni. And she's like, Dad, I'm like, go get it. And so she walks over with all the stuff in her hands. Dad, Dad, I'm like, get it. Like, you can, you can get, can I, can I have that? She's looking at me, can I have that? And I notice she's, like, not, like, kind of moving toward it, but not moving toward it, and maybe sort of gesturing to me. I can't quite figure out, like, what she's doing. She's just like, I, I can't, I can't, like, like I, I'm like, get it. And she just starts to lose it. Like, Dad, I can't get it. I'm like, why can't you get it? This was not too high for her. Dad, I go get the thing. This is yours. You can get it. 
And she just looks at me, and she's got tears in her eyes, and she's like, I can't get it because my hands are filled with candy. <laughs> so I lean down. I'm like, you're going to have to let go, buddy. And open up her little paws and the grossest melted chocolate candies <laughs> in her hand. And then she finally puts it down. I gather it all up. I'm like trying to clean up the mess in aisle four. <laughs> and she runs over and freaking holds on to that unicorn with all that she has, pulling down half the other stuffies at the same time. There's a point to this story. The candy, right, was the best that she could do. It's the best she could do until she saw the unicorn. And how often, I was just thinking, like, what a silly little story. How often do I grab hold of little bits of candy? Stuff that just isn't great. And it takes dad pointing out to me, hey, Andrew, there's something better, bud. She dropped that candy. But she couldn't drop that candy until she saw the unicorn. The question then is like, what am I carrying around? What am I tight-fisted about? If I were to show my hands to Jesus right now, would he just go, hey, hey, Jay, it's not working for you, man. Hey, Devin, it's not. It's not working for you, is it? It's not working for you, is it? We clutch onto these things because we just sometimes can't imagine or don't want to even bother imagining anything better. It's why when we have this distorted image of Jesus just telling us what to do, we have some image of Jesus like a Santa Claus making a list and counting it twice. It never really works. You notice that? It's like, I want to get rid of this temptation, this habit in my life. It's like, it never really works just to go, no. To be clear, Jesus is not like not saying no. <laughs> it's like, no, there's something better. Because God's got a desire. God, as we read about in these passages, it's like, here, check this out. Would you like this kind of life? Would you like this kind of life? Maybe you're just really tight-fisted right now. Maybe you have had a vision of being a generous person. That's like you're a unicorn. Not just like when you have money and when you have time you want to be generous, but you want to be somebody who's actually marked by generosity. And you won't drop your candy. It's like, well, you won't until you have a vision of a life like that. <laughs> I've clearly shared this so much so that um, it was Ashley Maxey brought me like a poetry book of Fred Rogers. I've been talking so much about how much um, somebody who has been so shaped by New England cynicism, shaped by some of the culture in my, my, even my family that just had a sort of like cynical edge to it. I'm like, I just want to be like known as being so kind. And when I'm like, like you know, on, I'm, I'm kind. I think of myself as a generally kind person, but I want to be like marked by something kindness. And when I got an image, I read something that Fred Rogers wrote. It wasn't just like watching the show as a kid. Sure, he's sweet and kind and nice. But hearing how his faith connected with his approach and posture. Now, he's got spiritual gifts and ways he was shaped. I'll never probably touch, but I got an image of, oh, life in the kingdom is a life of kindness. Do you struggle with judgmentalism? Are you just so judgmental? It's your preferences or nothing else. Like, you don't know how to be a mature Christian because your preferences, like, go over community. Like, no, 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 I will forsake community. I will forsake even my life with God for the sake of my preferences, what I think this should be. Like, whoa, whoa. 
you, you don't have a vision. There's like not a vision of that bigger and more beautiful thing. What would it be that when people, when you leave the room, people don't go, man, that, that person's got a stick up their butt. Wow, they are just always so critical. What if when you leave the room, they're like, wow, man, I just feel so good when I'm in that person's presence. Like I feel like I was just with Jesus in a way. Where are you tight-fisted? Where are you clutching? Maybe you're really angry. You're just holding on to this way of living. There's always a scorecard. You're always a bit judgmental. And the cry is, God, I'm desperate for a different kind of life because it's not working for me. I don't want that anymore. And so as you read through the Gospels, as you read the life of Jesus, you begin to discover, like, oh, life with you. I could be free of that. I could entrust, entrust this all to you. Does God want to say to you, is this it? Is this it? Is this really what I created you for? <laughs> God's created you for a unicorn. <laughs> Maybe today there's some candy that you've been clutching, and he is highlighting for you right now what you need to let go of. So let's take some time just to reflect on this, shall we, as we close. What are you holding on to? What are the habits, destructive attitudes, something you know isn't the best way, you know it's not the best. You have a sense of what that candy is, and I want you to invite you to do something. I want you to invite you to write it down. You should have gotten a white piece of paper when you came in. If you didn't, just raise your hand, and one of our greeters will give it to you. You should have gotten a white piece of paper. Really simple. Just a simple physical act of letting go. And then after you let that go, I want to invite you to pick something up. And what that is, is the bread and the cup. As a way of symbolizing that living water that Jesus is talking to the woman at the well about. The bread of life. The deeper reality of life with God. Take the bread and dip it in the cup. A picture, right, of this life of love of God laying down his life for us, the forgiveness of our sins, the forgiveness of our lesser loves, of our shallow desires. This is that moment that is so easy to kind of just tune out, to pivot. And I want to invite you to lean in. And we've set up communion today. There aren't going to be servers. As you come forward, and you drop whatever it is in the basket. We've lowered these tables, and I want to invite you, and you can come with your family or with friends. Obviously, come by yourself. And just to kneel for a moment, to take the bread, and to dip it in the cup, to remember Christ's body broken and his blood poured out for you. Next slide. We read in the scriptures that he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. The invitation is to let go and then to pick up. To let go and to kneel before this meal and remember the life that God has invited you into. This is one of those moments, friends, to say to God, Lord, help me 
to drop it in. Show me the better way. Teach me the better way. Show me, Lord, the deeper thing. So let's spend some time singing and reflecting and opening ourselves up to whatever God wants to do in our hearts. This will take like five to eight minutes, and then we'll be on our way this morning. There'll be prayer ministers in this corner and in this corner. Often a subject like this, whenever we're invited to lay something down, it can bring things up in you. Maybe sometimes shame comes welling up, and Lord, I just pray against that. Gosh, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But Lord, I do pray that you would convict, and that you would meet us like you met the woman at the well. Is husband one working? Really? Husband two? Yeah, it's not working for you, is it? And inviting her to the deeper water, inviting the thief to turn those energies towards something good and beautiful. Recognizing, Lord, the joy that filled you, that was set before you, that caused you to endure the cross because you knew the better way. Lord, we want to sell the field. Buy the field. <laughs> we want to buy the field, Lord. We we'll sell everything we have. We know that in you is eternal life. You've come to give us life and life to the full. And so we're just here again with a new week in front of us, saying, yeah, Lord, help me. I'm having a hard time keeping my eye on the unicorn. My hands are full of candy, Dad. I can't pick it up. Holy Spirit, would you lead us? Would you lead us? Amen. I recognize I might get a little clogged up here. Normally we go from the front to the back. If that kind of naturally happens, so be it. If you want to just come up as you feel so led, feel free. I'm okay with a little bit of chaos down front here. But come, drop, kneel, and roll. <laughs> come, drop, kneel, take communion. And let's, uh, let us lean in in this moment. Come, Holy Spirit.